Tendencies. I'm Gabby. And I'm Kim. And we are two paranormal investigators who delve into the depths of the famous and not-so-famous cases. Of Moida, ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of debunking. Not much debunk tonight, though. Well, at Ooh, least I not for wait. my case, but uh, oh. per- perhaps for something else. I have debunking for you. I have real life live action debunking Ooh. story for Kim Douthit and our listeners All today. All right. And this is, I have not heard this story yet either. Nope. I was waiting until we talked because I haven't talked to you in forever. And the way that we catch up is by recording our podcast. It's also true. <laughs> um, so fun fact, mm-hmm. I pinched a nerve recently in my yes. neck. This I did um, know. And I, I, yeah. Ow. I, I've just been in pain for like yeah. a week and a half. Oh. And so I'm currently in Los Angeles visiting my parents. One of my best friends is getting married in like four days. Um, And, you know, matron of honor duties call. So I'm here. But I'm also dealing with some severe pain. And so I was like, mom. And my mom just had surgery too. So I'm helping out with my mom. Yeah, it's a lot. So anyway, I reach out to my mom and I'm like, hey, I need a chiropractor. I'm like in a lot of pain. And she gives me like six different names. Of and course so I'm just she like, does. whatever. Whoever picks whoever picks up the phone first and can make me an appointment, first I will go to. And this dude from a alternative wellness center, I was like, Ooh. okay, sure. Like why not? naturopaths like, and stuff. I truly had no idea. Literally, it just says chiropractor outside. Right. And I was like, cool, it's a chiropractor. This dude, straight up, no shoes, walking around in socks. Did not get any in scrubs. Uh, He is the one giving the service, so I guess, you know, there's that. Also, no mask in a doctor's office freaks me out still. Well, I mean, it's a natural place, so there you go. Uh, Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. Not to be that person, but I'm going to (laughs) be. Fair. So I get in there. He, like, pokes around on my back. I'm like, okay, this is normal. Like, he's trying to find out where it is. Tells me to lay down. Mm -hmm. Grabs my feet. Starts turning my ankle side to side and goes one, two, three, four. <laughs> I'm sorry. A, B, C, D, E. And I'm like, what the fuck is, is happening? He, does he have to remind himself? I'm like, are my feet Ouija boards? Yeah. What? What is And Is goes, there anyone there? Beep. 26. Grief. What? What happened to you when you were 26? Why were you grieving when you were 26? And what? I was like, ah. Uh, Let me think back. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I, I thought this was a chiropractor, Is he not a psychic. A psychic. Chiropractor? <laughs> I was so genuinely confused. Wow. But I also was probably the worst possible person for him to do this to. Sure. Knowing how we function mm-hmm. and literally scully everything. Mm-hmm. So and he's recently give- talked about this kind of thing of of the like yes. yeah. <laughs> Like everything, Nightmare Alley, like mm-hmm. <laughs> spiritualism and all that jazz, right? Mm-hmm. So he keeps giving me words that are really negative, And I'm just like, he's like trying to make assumptions about my life. And I genuinely am like, there's nothing yeah. I am associating with anything nope. that he is saying. You're, you're not getting any hits, bud. No, it's it's just, it's literally the only thing I could think of is that one scene from uh, Nightmare Alley where she's just like guessing words mm-hmm. and someone's like yes I know something relates to that mm-hmm. and it's like aha yes I am psychic and it's like I the whole time I was just like no nope <laughs> not it no nope. not it <laughs> like I could tell I was like irritating him mm-hmm. and it, by the end of it I was just like what did we just do yeah and he didn't even tell me I had a pinched nerve. I had to go to a different chiropractor to tell me I had a pinched nerve. Unimpressed. This is Kim's unimpressed face. But funny, right? Like, 
so confused. I kind of want to go that guy because I'll probably make him cry. I was like, Mom, what is with this woo-woo chiropractor you sent me to? Like, she goes, what's (laughs) woo-woo? I was like, I I can't. Um, I would make him cry. I I would... It would be like literally like punking someone to send you to this chiropractor. <laughs> Who let this bitch in? <laughs> you thought I was bad. Yeah, right. You Ooh. ain't you ain't you ain't met Scully yet. And plus, you probably haven't seen a chiropractor, and I don't even know how long. I've never seen a chiropractor for other reasons. Perfect. Um, also, my stepdad decided to tell me he doesn't believe in chiropractors. That's one of the I reasons like, I have not seen one. <laughs> I was like, it's not Santa. Like, no. it's a little different. But anywho, eh, to each their own. To each their own. The I've, lady that I found this time really helped me a lot. So I do believe in her. Sure, I sure, sure. I do not sure. believe in the woo-woo psychic That's. Guy. I think that's it. It's not that I don't believe that a chiropractor can be helpful. I've just known, because I've had friends who've had very positive experiences with them, but I've known too many who have done like shit like the woo woo guy and it's so unregulated I'm just like I don't you know what I'm gonna do go to a doctor <laughs> yeah like I genuinely was I just was baffled like I did not know how to respond and then and that's then. when you start saying wait I'm getting Dunkin Donuts uh hot chocolate uh my left foot do these words have any meaning to you whatsoever because that's what I'm, I'm receiving I'm getting right a now. sour scent of yeah. milk. I'm is getting that the fact that you are not wearing shoes. I'm getting sir? a sense of I think it's what we call BS. I think what I'm smelling is pure bullshit. Is the shit. It's the shit. bullshit uh-huh. that you have stepped in uh-huh. and been carrying around this room this uh-huh. whole time. Yeah, basically. So this is the, this intro to our episode is Adventures When I Visit Home. Um, because the <laughs> second one oh, has dear. to do with my parents pranking me. And wait, what? <laughs> yep, 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 yep. So here's, here's the spiel. So I'm laying down next to my mom. Mm-hmm. She just had surgery. Sure. I had no idea that they had a teeny tiny remote control for the lights in the bedroom. <laughs> I already see where this is going, and also I kind of love it. <laughs> okay, so just to give a little bit of background, I have like told, mentioned this on this podcast many times. I'm like... sure that my grandfather haunts this house that I am staying in, that my parents live in. He lived here with us for like four years while I was younger. And like the room that I now sleep in was his room. It still has some of his stuff in it, like furniture and like art. Like Mm -hmm. it's, he's still, I think, around. I feel him. Mm -hmm. So my mom makes a comment like, oh, it's so dark in here. (laughs) And the lights turn on. And I was like, I'm sorry. Who has a remote? Mm -hmm. Like my first reaction was like, do you have an electrical like weird connection with these lights like where's the remote do you guys have a remote like that's the first thing I said I'm immediately trying to debunk and my stepdad's like no I don't have anything showing me his hands my mom's like yeah no no, nothing in my hands no we don't have and then I was just like is it Papa? Is Papa <laughs> turning the lights on? And then I was like, Papa, if that's you, can you turn the lights off? Papa, can you hear me? Papa, can you hear me? Papa. Yeah. Um, a good like 15 seconds later, the lights turn off. And uh-huh. I was like, Ooh. And then my stepdad leaves. He's gone for like 30 minutes. And my mom makes another comment. She's like, God, it's getting so dark. And then the lights just turn on. And I'm like, are you Sorry. joking right now? And then she goes, it must be Papa, huh? And then turns the lights off and holds up the remote. And I was like, you, you asshole. <laughs> but also, well played. 
So I got trolled by my parents because they think that ghosts don't exist. I mean, Except my mom has seen my pop in the respect. backyard and I'm like, what? Respect. I just knew you would appreciate I... these stories of <laughs> potential paranormality. Paranormality, yes. Yes. Uh, while visiting my parents. Potential paranormality. I think I'm going to start calling it parent normality. Parent nor oh. That parent normality is my new favorite. Uh, we got a new hashtag, Gabby. Uh-oh, yes, we do. We need like a Wait. siren to... Speaking of paranormality, oh. I heard you got a new haunted doll. I did. I did. And it's... Who? Okay, what's funny is she's just been sitting in her box because I've been so mother effing busy. What else is new? Um, I love it. Well, and then I, I, I'm actually on the tail end of a kind of wicked cold. and That's true. Yeah. So if I sound extra nasal, it's not just Kim being extra. It's because I'm on the tail end of a really wicked cold, which is has kind of had me like it's it's it, not COVID. It's I definitely not COVID, but it's just been really annoying and it's drained my energy. And um, cold still exist. Colds. I know it's so funny, though. Every conversation I have with somebody when I tell them I have a cold, it's like I've come down with a cold. It's not COVID. I've had all the tests. It's not COVID. It's not COVID. Uh, <laughs> and that's where we're at. <laughs> you know, we just have to accept what it is. Like, I, I I have this urge to walk around with a t-shirt. It's just like, I don't have COVID. It's cold or I don't have COVID. <laughs> it's my allergies. Because that's where we're at. But, um, yep. no, I got this new haunted doll and she's still in her box. And I was going to do a whole, I don't know, not necessarily unboxing, but I was going to at least post oh, some pictures. But she's still in her freaking box. Um, I think her name is Lulu. And I don't know a whole lot about about her but she's old she's from i don't know like the 20s or something nice and i got her from somebody through one of my theaters and uh so like millie right you look at millie and i mean millie's old but you don't look at her and immediately think this is a haunted doll no she just looks like a porcelain doll yeah you know she's and she's not as old as she's from um i think the 50s or something so she's old but she's not like I don't know. A hundred years old. She's not a hundred years old. Sure. You look at this doll, you're like, oh, you're haunted. <laughs> nice. It's one of those dolls, but she's big. So that's actually been part of what's also kept me from, because I wanted to put her with Millie, but she won't fit. She's too big because Millie sits and I'm like, well, I could maybe sit this doll down, but like she's significantly larger she's probably a good at least six to eight inches longer than millie is standing so is she like what three feet no she's i mean millie is actually only probably i don't know 14 to 16 inches if i had to guess and when she's sitting she's less because when she's sitting and so like she sits on my shelf maybe she is See, I'm looking at her now. I'm like, she's probably taller when she's standing, but she's when she's sitting on the shelf, you know, she fits into a standard size shelf. This, I don't know, this dog is dog. <laughs> and that's the cold medicine talking, folks. Um, this doll is probably more like in the two feet range. Okay. So um still pretty big. Still, it's it's big, right? It's not, and so I'm trying to figure out, like, do I try to fit her on the same shelf as Millie or I'm getting some new, getting some custom made pieces of furniture installed sometime this summer in my apartment. Do I kind of wait to give her a permanent home until I can maybe give her a home in one of these new custom shelving things I'm having? So um, we'll see. I need to I need to open her up. I feel bad. She's just been sitting in her box. I, I kind of want to give Millie a friend because 
Millie Wait, is have, weirdly social. Have there been any, like, has anyone told you about anything that Lulu has done or any, how do, how do people know she's haunted? Does she just look spooky? She looks spooky. She's old. Um, I've been trying to get more specific stories. I mean, I don't know. Like with Millie, I was a little skeptical before I got her, but after having her in my place for a very short time, like weird things were happening where I was like, damn it. Okay. Um, stuff where again, you know, Kim likes to scully. Yeah. I, I couldn't scully half the stuff that was happening. Um, like my living room heat spontaneously turning on. And your stove. My stove turning on. Yeah, that one sucked. That was scary. Um, but like uh, stuff flying off shelves. Like I witnessed things flying off the shelf. Damn. Um, the TV spontaneously turning on at 3 a.m. for like a week that was happening. And Tilly, my cat, if anyone doesn't know who Tilly is at this point, um, that's the first thing I always check when something happens is where's Tilly. And Tilly would be asleep next to me. And so I'm like, well, you didn't turn the TV in the living room on because you were in my bedroom with me sleeping. That's not a great way to wake up either. <laughs> it's not. It's not. And honestly, one of the things I found that's been helpful with Millie, she's weirdly social. She gets really weird if I've been kind of neglecting her or not talking about her or paying attention to her. So I try to acknowledge her. But that's where I'm like, if she could have a friend, that could be awesome. Well, I feel like be some ruckus in your house. I think she would thrive with a playmate. So, um, oh, can't wait to hear the stories. I'm so excited we'll for see. you to unbox Lulu. Yeah, I kind of feel bad that I have not done it, but it's just, it's been so crazy. She's been seeing this box for weeks now. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I need to find a good place for you. You're really big. I, mm, uh, mm, uh. anyway, anyway. <laughs> Adventures in our lives that are maybe paranormal. Adventures in our lives that may be paranormal. We digress. What we digress. Well, it's, it's your dose of paranormal because today's <clears throat> story has nothing to do with the paranormal. <laughs> Spoiler. Spoiler. Uh, it might be our first killer kid, too. Have we done a killer kid before? I don't think we have. We've done killer dolls. Yeah, I was trying to think if we'd done a killer kid. I've covered killer kids for... Some of my true crime events, but I was like, I don't think I've done anything for for uh, for ghoulish. That's a killer kid. So, and I definitely haven't. So this will be a first for all of us. This will be a first for all of us. Before we get into kind of the heart of the case of Mary Bell, I do want to warn my listeners: uh, this is going to deal with a lot of situations of child abuse. You're going to be hearing about child mutilation, child murder. And some very graphic at times points of child sexual abuse. Um, some quotes from Mary herself about the abuse she suffered. So if this is something that uh, is going to be very upsetting, you may want to skip this episode. I'm going to try to warn at least with some of the, the quotes about the sexual abuse. So if you want to just skip ahead a little. But just, just be forewarned, there will be some, some heavy things we're going to be talking about today. I will say this is, uh, and I think anytime we're dealing with, with children who have killed, like, man, this case breaks my heart, not just because of, of the, the children who died, um, but because the, the girl who was killing was, um, horribly abused and, and got to this point because of, of how horrific her home life was. Yeah, that's really sad. It's it's very sad. Uh, 
for those of you who have never heard of Mary Bell, which is actually a surprising amount of people in the U.S., I think because she was, uh, uh, well, is she still alive? Uh, a, a U.K. case I've found in general, people tend to know less about her here. Mm-hmm. But yes, today we will be talking about Mary Bell. Uh, Mary Bell was born May 26th of 1957 to Betty McCricket. Betty was 17 at the time. The biological father of Mary Bell to this day remains unknown. There has been some speculation that Betty's own father fathered Mary. Oh, no. This has never been verified. Uh, Years later, Mary would point blank ask her mother if this was true, and her mother responded, you were the devil's spawn. Oh, that doesn't answer the question. doesn't really answer the question. Or maybe it does. I don't know. But... If it was the case, it might explain a little bit of why Betty seemed to really hate Mary. Sure. When Mary was only a few months old, Betty met Billy Bell, who was 21. Uh, Billy would marry Betty in March of 1958, while uh, Betty was already a few months pregnant with a son she would give birth to in the fall of the same year. And Billy would legally adopt Mary as his daughter, which is part of the reason why she has the last name of Bell. He raised her absolutely as his own child. Betty, Mary's mother, did not want a child. Uh, She almost seemed to hate her. And again, calling her the devil's spawn, that's kind of a good indicator that maybe your relationship's not great. When she gave birth to Mary, though, the first thing she said was, take that thing away from me. Ugh. Yeah. And and Mary would later say, well, that's when they should have taken me away from her forever, shouldn't they? Oy. I mean, she has a point. Yeah. Or at least taken her away for long enough to figure out what was going on. Um... I I do wonder what Mary's life would have been like if she hadn't grown up with Betty Bell as her mother. The woman was horrifically abusive to Mary, uh, tried to kill Mary on multiple occasions. What? Yeah. And the the details I'm about to share of her childhood are, are not meant in any way to try to justify what Mary would later go on to do, but to try and give a little bit of an understanding of the world Mary grew up in and how that shaped her later actions. Betty and Billy, along with Mary and her younger brother, lived with her mother, uh, Betty's mother, and younger sister, Isa, for the first few years of Mary's life in Newcastle, Scotswood, which is in northeastern England. Betty's mother suffered from migraines. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Migraine club, take take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Take a shot. <laughs> Welcome, foolish mortals. Foolish mortals. Um, Betty's mother took medication for these migraines, oh. but she was very, very careful because there was children in the house to keep the medication hidden. And she actually, she put them in the used needle compartment of their uh, uh, record player of their, yeah, uh, which um, if you've ever seen, you know, like the the little needles and the the old like the older record players, they have this little compartment where you could put the 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 used needles. Um, it was very hard to get into those little compartments. You had to kind of pry them open, and it's not something a small child would mm-hmm. easily be able to do. Sure. Yet somehow, 
at the age of one. Mary was magically able to stand up, use the knitting needle that (laughs) Betty's mother used to get it opened to get into this compartment, take a number of pills. Does this sound like something that is true? Probably not. Probably not. But this was Betty's story about how Mary got a hold of a number of these pills and consumed them. It sounds like Betty might have accidentally left this container open and available to her one-year-old. Yeah, except Betty was not the one suffering from the migraines. It was, it was her mother. Oh. Yeah. And this is where, again, this was looked at as a deliberate act from, from Betty to kill her daughter. Oh, yeah. Mary was rushed to the hospital, had her stomach pumped. Betty was adamant it was an accident. <laughs> of course she hmm. was. She doesn't want to get blamed. Hmm. Um, Betty moved her family out of her mother's home in November of 1959. Shortly after, she sent a letter to her older sister saying that she had given Mary away. To some friends. That's specific. Yeah, like you do. I, you know what? I'm just going to give my kid away to some friends. It's fine. Wait, but what happened to Mary Bell? So her sister went to these friends, retrieved Mary, and returned her to Betty. Oh. Yeah. What, how, what did the friends say? Is there anything about that? No. <laughs> just that so they were like, oh, okay. They must have just thought they were like, temporarily babysitting who knows man i mean it's like the early 60s so who knows things were weird then (laughs) that's very true about six months after this incident mary now is almost three years old betty's older sister kath came over to visit kath gave the children there was a couple children it was betty and or not excuse me not betty mary and her younger brother um candy so kath went to make tea when she came back she found them eating the candy um They'd spilled the candy all over the floor and somehow had mixed the candy with medication. What? Drenamil tablets, which are stimulants. Oh, no. And the kids had eaten them because they were mixed in with the candy. So, of course, they did. So, again, like, they were treated. They ended up being okay. But how the hell... Did these small children just end up with this kind of medication? Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder. So Kath begs Betty, let me take Mary. Let her stay with me for a little bit. Like, you're overwhelmed. You've got two young children at home. This is really hard. Billy is gone a lot. Betty refused. And I think that's maybe what what I find so aggravating is that Betty already, she's, she's trying to poison her child. She's trying to give her child away. And yet when the family is like, hey, let us take your kid for a while. She's like, Mm-mm, no, no. That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And it's, it's just maddening to me. So yeah. shortly after, Betty and Mary are visiting Betty's mother. And Mary almost falls out the window. <laughs> what? Betty was supposed to be holding and watching her, and yet she almost falls out the window. That sounds like she was almost thrown out the window. I'm not going to lie. You think? You think? <laughs> Shortly after that, Betty's younger sister, Isa, followed Betty when she brought Mary into an adoption agency. What? Wait a minute. Hold on. So she's being brought into an adoption agency and the family can't have the kid? Yeah. And I mean, again, Betty had 
problems of her own, struggled with a lot of issues of her own. Clearly. Clearly. And I mean, at this point, Betty is what, like 20? Not the most mature. Not the most mature. And this is, again, it's not excusing anything. It's just, especially when you're looking at this with the lens that maybe it was her father who fathered her child. That is also going, it's it's this lasting, it's the cycle of abuse, right? Right. Parents right. perpetuating this abuse, and so the children become abusive, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's, just, it's sad. It's very, 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 very sad. It's definitely sad. So uh, Betty sees a young woman crying in this adoption agency. And she's crying because she wanted to adopt a child, but she was not able to. So Betty gave her Mary... And said, I brought this one to be adopted. You have her. <laughs> and then left. <laughs> well, I mean, sure. At least she didn't, like, put her in a dumpster or something. She gave her to a person who wanted a kid. Sure. So Isa, though, she followed the woman home and, and like, is like, no, this is my niece. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take her and returns Mary, though, to her mother. Bless Isa, but come on. Come on. So now Mary's almost four. She would again be given pills. Her mother's iron tablets ends up in the hospital. She can talk now. So what's she telling everybody? Me ma'am gave me the Smarties. Oh. The Smarties is a type of children. Well, no, but Smarties is a type of candy. So her mom is giving her, and like I've, I've, it's a, I mean, we have Smarties here in the States, but there's, there's a, a British version. Um, in fact, I had an advent calendar from the UK that had a bunch of Smarties in it and they do look remarkably like tablets, like pills. Um, at this point, not wanting to deal with her family's concerns for Mary's safety, Betty cut off contact with her family for the next year. Yikes. And this is when the abuse escalated. So Billy. Billy was a petty criminal. He was often gone. Betty was working as a sex worker. When Billy was not around, Betty would sell Mary to clients. Oh, no. Are you serious? So to give a little bit of a warning, uh, the next quotes that I'm going to be reading uh, are taken directly from interviews Mary gave to um, Gita Sereni, who wrote two books about Mary. I got a lot of, of actual uh, really good research from, from these books. The one specifically I'm citing now is from Cries Unheard, Why Children Kill, the Story of Mary Bell. But uh, this will be dealing directly with some of the sexual abuse Mary suffered. So you may, if this is a little bit too sensitive, you may want to skip the next 30 seconds or so of this episode. Um, she remembers not being in school yet. So she's about the age of four or so. And she said, my mother would hold me, one hand pulling my head back by my hair, the other holding my arms back of me, my neck back like, and... And they'd put their penis in my mouth, and when, when you know, they ejaculated, I'd vomit. Oh, my God. Yeah. Sometimes her mother would blindfold her. She was afraid to tell her father, Billy, uh, because her mother would threaten her. Her mother would beat her, whip her. 
And this abuse would go on until she was at least eight years old. That's terrible. She would talk about becoming a little bit more defiant when she became eight, um, acted out more. The family moved to White House Road. Betty now was often in Glasgow working. Uh, When Billy was around, he was referred to as the children's uncle so that Betty could get benefits from the city for being a single mother. Of course. In spring of 1967, a new girl moved in next door named Norma Bell. Despite sharing a last name, they were not related. <laughs> Norma's one of 11 children. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. I get exhausted every time I hear that. I'm like, oh, God. My Too many. U- my uterus just went, ah. Um, <laughs> hashtags, Kim's uterus went, ah. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting one to spell. Yeah, how do you spell it? <laughs> ah. I get ah, A-A-A, I don't know. Or you could just be like, <laughs> Kim's, you just want ack and there just you be, you know. I would like an animation of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Norma was 13. Mary is 10 at this point. Despite the age difference, Mary was very much the ringleader of the two of them. Uh, Norma was often described. I hate when this is how children or really anyone is described, but Norma is described as being slow. Oh, yeah. By 1968, the girls were frequently getting into trouble. What's important to keep in context about Newcastle in 1968 was how impoverished this area was. The population was around uh, 17,000 people. And of those 17,000, more than half were unemployed. Dang, that's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, again, it's 1960s, but... That's a lot. It was not uncommon for children to be out playing in the streets together for long periods of time, virtually unsupervised, even very young children. Mary was becoming more aggressive and even violent with other children. She would start fights. There was an account of her putting a cigarette out on another child. Oh, jeez. Which, I mean, it's, it's again, like, as, as, and I, I work with kids, so in 2022 time, <laughs> I think if I had a child doing that to another child, it's horrific, but this raises all the alarms of what is happening in these, this child's home. Like, mm-hmm. 10-year-olds don't get there by themselves. <laughs> no. You don't just see that happening and have that not be either a learned activity or something that's happening as a direct result of, of, of some kind of abuse happening in the home. For sure. You know what it kind of sounds like and reminds me of a little bit? Hmm. Is Jim Jones as a kid. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of that, but it's, 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 and I mean, similar time period too. Mm-hmm. After she was arrested, there was a lot of reports that started to come out about her behavior that, honestly, I couldn't verify a lot of it. Um, Fair. And, and I, I do want to tell you a couple of them that happened, but it, it, it does make me wonder, did some of these happen or, or were some of these like people kind of jumping on the bandwagon? Because we do see that happening, too. Right. Uh, May 11th of 1968, Mary's cousin John was pushed down a nearby embankment. He'd been beaten. He had obvious injuries on his body. He was three at the time. Oh, my God. But he wouldn't say who did it. Mary and Norma were the ones that would 
find him and were suspected by the police uh, that maybe they had done it, but they kind of chalked it up to a schoolyard fight. So no further action was taken. The next day, May 12th, Mary would have another altercation with three other children, Pauline, Cindy, and Susan. Now, the mother of one of these girls officially reported this to police. Pauline told police she was playing in the sandpit when, these are direct quotes, two big girls came in. The smallest one of the two girls told me to get out of the sandpit. I said no. She put her hands around my neck and squeezed hard. The bigger girl was behind the hut playing. The girl who took her hands off my neck, and she did the same with Susan. The girl who squeezed my neck had short, dark hair. I don't know this girl and had not seen her before. So the girls would be identified as Mary and Norma. Mary gave a different version of events. Mary said, I went behind the shed to play. When I was behind the shed, I heard Pauline scream. I came up from behind the shed and saw Pauline running away towards the fence. She was holding her throat and screaming. I asked Norma what happened, and she said that Pauline had fallen and hurt her throat on the edge of the sand pit. What? How do you hurt your throat on the edge you, of a sand you pit? You don't, but this is like, this is little kid lie logic. Like, little kids lie to your face, and they think what they're saying is completely logical, and you're like, my dude. <laughs> no, no, no. 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 I mean, I think about how often I've called a kid out on a behavior where I watch it happen and they lie to your face and you're like, I literally just watched you do this thing. <laughs> how can you be lying about it? But like little kids, I mean, again, it's their tiny brains. They're, I don't mean tiny brains in an insulting way. I just mean <laughs> like little kid brain. It's little kid logic. It's how they're developmentally. They're like, no, I didn't. I could show them video of them doing it and they'd still be like, no, I didn't. No, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Now, all this is, it's scary and sad, but things are about to get worse. Oh, wonderful. You're welcome. Great. Looking forward to it. I, I kill Joy. <laughs> it's what it says on my dating profile. <laughs> you have a dating profile? <laughs> no, because I kill Joy. <laughs> so they actually say they reject me. They're like, Kim, you kill too much Joy. You're not allowed <laughs> Joy Killer. Joy That's your Killer. Username. It's what it says on my business cards. I crush children's spirits and I kill Joy. Douth uh, it. Douth the it. Joy Killer. <laughs> <laughs> on May 25th of 1968, one day before Mary's 11th birthday. So she is still technically 10 years old at this point. Four year old Martin Brown was found dead. Martin's mother, June, recalls Martin was blonde, chubby, had big blue shining eyes. He was a right little villain. Oh. Yeah. And, like, you look at pictures of him. We'll, we'll put some of the picture. Well, there's really only one picture uh, of Martin that I, I see circulated. But um, he is. He's just this little, like, cherub. June worked during the week. Um, Martin would stay with her sister, Rita, and Rita's children. May 25th was a Saturday. Martin went out to play with other children. Martin's father, George, would see Martin just before 3 p.m. when he came back home to get some money for candy at the shop. Uh, he would then be seen by his Aunt Rita. He came in to ask for bread and butter. She told him that butter was for tea and he could have some margarine. He got angry at her. 
She later, yeah, just like this, you this little like four year old. You imagine throwing this tantrum because he wants butter and not margarine. She later recalled him saying, "I'm not coming to your house, bloody no more. I won't come again." Shortly after, his body would be found in an abandoned house. At around three thirty p.m., two boys were searching for wood, uh, searching this house for wood. They would find the body of Martin Brown. He was lying on his back, arms outstretched, saliva and blood coming out of his mouth. Oh, buddy. Yeah. There were no signs of a struggle, no obvious marks or injuries. At the same time, Mary knocked on the front door of his Aunt Rita's house. And she said, one of your barons has had an accident. No. I think it's your Junes, but there's blood all over. I'll show you where it is. If that's not an indicator of someone who murdered someone, I don't know what is. What? (sighs) My heart breaks because this is not behavior you see out of a child who is not just messed up up, who has not lived like this is she's 10 she turns 11 the next day but she is a kid this is is as much a cry for help as it is a tragedy that this poor little boy this poor little boy it's just it's sad it's like i'm sorry i feel like i do like the kim's gonna bum you out episodes (laughs) you're welcome folks I mean, we have to have a balance. It's okay. <laughs> We're back for another episode of Kim is gonna fuck you kill up. Kill your joy. I'm gonna kill your joy. I swear, it's not intentional. <laughs> it really isn't. Uh, so a crowd had gathered in front of the building. Police were called in. It was speculated he must have wandered into the building on his own. There was a bottle of pills found nearby his body. For a bit, they thought maybe he had ingested these pills and it was an accidental poisoning. He was found on the upper level of the house. However, Martin's mother, she got very adamant about this. She argued he would not have gone up there himself because he was afraid of heights. Oh. So then it it actually became suggested. In fact, the papers ran with this. He had died of fright. The area that Martin's body was found in was nicknamed Rat Alley. Yikes. Yeah, well, the real blame for Martin's death was put on the fact that there were all of these abandoned homes and buildings around. It actually prompted a protest encouraging the city to work faster so they could prevent this from happening again. Guess who was at every single one of these protests? Mary Bell. Mary Bell. Front and center. Of course she was. If there was a police event, a PR event, Mary was there. Her and Norma, God, this this part, it's it's just, it's like icky. Her and Norma started visiting Martin Brown's mother. And they'd ask her, do you miss Martin? Do you (gasps) cry for him? And then they'd smile. What? Smile. And then they would ask to see him. Wait a minute. Where would he be? Mm, well, that's kind of the point. It's like, we'd like to see Martin. Well, Martin's dead. We'd still like to see him. 
Okay, but that's really creepy. Oh, it's insanely creepy. Like her, I believe the the June, the mother, uh, ultimately was like, okay, you need to stop coming around here. Yeah. Like, this is not okay. Also, like, I'm, what blows my mind is that, like, she came to his mom mm-hmm. and said, "I let me take you to him. Like, is his there aunt, no, his aunt. Oh, so sorry. I'm getting these details wrong. I know. It's okay. It's I'm okay. tired. It's fine. She she goes to his aunt and says, I know where he is. Like, why does no one think? Because his body was found so quickly. So it was under this guise of like, oh, one of the children's been found. I'm going to take you there. But there was already a crowd there. So, yes, it's easy to look at it now and be like, oh, that's messed Hello. up. That's a girl leading somebody to the, the scene of a crime. But his body was found so quickly. Hmm. And I mean, again, like, who thinks? Like, it's, even even this, do you miss Martin, do you cry for him? It's so messed up, but, like, kids do messed up stuff all the time, especially around death, because kids don't know how to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Would you automatically assume, if now 11, she's now 11 years old, because she committed the murders the day before she turned 11, but would you assume an 11-year-old child coming to your house and being kind of a little bitch, but being, like, creepy and weird about it, your mind isn't automatically going to go to, oh, you killed my son. Your no. mind is going to go to, like, you you're were being a, a weirdo. You're being a weirdo. You're a messed up kid who obviously has issues, and I don't want to deal with this. So I can't fault people for not immediately being like, oh, it was obviously a child that killed him. Um, the medical examiner was actually, he was really puzzled by the cause of death. There was a lack of marks on the body. Um, he thought it was maybe due to pressure on the neck, which could block the main arteries on each side of the windpipe, which would cut off the supply of blood to the brain. But again, without marks, how did that happen? At the time, no one thought it was possible it was a child. No one. Because again, you don't, even in 2022, we don't go there first. No. No one ever wants to think it's a kid that could do something that terrible. And it's because you, you I, I mean, this is getting into some like psychology stuff, which I, I am not a psychologist. I am somebody who reads too many books. Um, developmentally, a child at this age. Their concept of death is still very, very different from an adult's. Of course. Um, so police decided the cause of death was open, but at the time they did not think there was any foul play involved. On Sunday, the day following Martin's death, Mary celebrated her 11th birthday by trying to throttle Mary Bell's younger sister. Wolf. Yeah. And fortunately, Norma's father saw Mary, you know, strangling the girl and said, uh, I chopped Mary's hands away and gave her a clip on the shoulder. The following day. Monday, May 27th, the teachers at the Day Nursery School arrived to find that the school had been ransacked. Oh. School supplies were strewn about recklessly. Cleaning materials splattered on the floor. The most disturbing discovery, however, were the notes that had been left behind. And we will put pictures of these notes on our Instagram, well, at least some of them, um, I apologize for some of the language that was used in these notes, but the following four papers were found with childish scribbles. The first one, 
I murder so that I may come back. What? The second one, uh, with some very poor spelling, fuck of, I believe they meant off. We yep. murder, watch out, Fanny and Faggot. Oh, no. Next one. We did murder Martin Brown. Fuck off, you bastard. <gasps> what kind of evidence do you need other than that? Well, but again, kids. They could tell it was a kid that did this. I know, but still, it's just <laughs> But wild. you can't you can't look at it through a 2022 lens. You have to look at it <clears throat> through the lens of the time period in the 60s. Nobody thinks a kid's doing. They think it's a horrible, horrible prank. It's a horrible prank, but not that this child actually murdered Martin Brown. They probably just think that she wanted attention. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Which she did. That's the thing is you you look back at all these things she's doing. She is desperately. She doesn't know that's what she's doing. She is desperately looking for somebody to stop her. She's yeah. talking to the mother. She's strangling her friend's sister. She's leaving these notes. This is a kid who's trying to get caught. It sounds like it does. She doesn't even necessarily want to get caught. She just wants to have be paid attention to. Well, both, I think. Well, yeah. <laughs> it made me think of Millie. <laughs> she just wants attention. Uh, the fourth note. Uh, and again, there was some interesting spellings in some of these notes. You are micey. Why the letter Y? Because we murdered Martin. Go Brown. You beat. Look out. There are murders about by Fanny and Alt Faggot. You screws. Except screws is spelled like screw. I, just, I can't even do it. It's, there's, we'll have to just post a picture of the note because, like, trying to explain how it was so obviously like child wrote this note and can't spell things. Anyway. Wow. On Monday in school, Mary wrote about and drew a picture of a boy in the exact same position Martin was found in, and she wrote, On Saturday, I was in the house, and me ma'am sent me to ask Norma if she would come up the top with me. We went up, and we came down at Margaret's Road, and there were crowds of people beside an old house. I asked what was the matter? There had been a boy who just laid down and died. And she drew this little picture. And it was a picture of Martin Brown's body. Oh, my God. And she wrote by the body the word tablet. Like, like the, she gave him a tablet? Like the pills that were found nearby, which ended up, again, having nothing to do oh. with his death, but it meant that she'd seen them. But no one took note at the time. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, hmm. This is not a kid being subtle. No. It's a kid being a kid who is, kids are <clears throat> stupid. I love kids. They're stupid. I mean, we talked about it in the last they're episode so of all the dummies. Because they're kids. Yeah. They think they're so clever. They're not because they're kids. Developmentally, they're not. It's, I'm not being insulting when I say this. They're brains. Just they're. Mm. Anyway. 
So the school installs an alarm since, like, I guess it wasn't the first time somebody broke in. Oh, jeez. And on Friday of the same week, they catch Mary and Norma breaking in again. Oi. It became obvious that they were the ones who'd broken in before. Mary denies this, of course. Of course. A week later, Mary attacked Norma near the nursery sandpit. A boy saw Mary scratch her and kick her in the eye. Oh my god. But only laughed when he heard but only laughed when he heard Mary scream, "I am a murderer." And she pointed in direction of the house where Martin Brown was found and said, "That house over there, that's where I killed." Okay, how many more things do we need? <laughs> how many more things do we need to say that this child murdered that child? But, like, Mary was known for saying outlandish things and saying things for attention, so nobody gave it any thought. And I'm just like... <laughs> and again, I know I can't... It is a disservice to look at something from a 2022 lens. But I just, ah, it makes me. That's wild. That's nuts. It makes me have feelings, Gabby. And you know how much I hate. I hate feelings for myself. Yeah, especially feelings that make you feel sad. I don't, I just, I don't like feelings. I have a cold, (laughs) dead heart for a reason. Most of the time. Cold and dead. (laughs) Dead. Across the world, new threats emerge. Man-apes prowl the forests of North America. Giant cephalopods entwine ships in the Pacific. Man-eating crocodiles gnash unsuspecting swimmers in Australia. But one bureau has you covered with the latest on monstrous shenanigans in your backyard. Tune in, gentle listeners, for breaking news fresh from the teletype Listen closely, for your lives may depend on it. Turn up the volume. It's time for... The The Monsters Monsters Report! June 1st, 1978. Norma and Mary ran away from home. They would be found ten miles away before they were brought back. June 14th. They ran away again! This time they were gone for two days before they were found and returned. And like sure. It, this all just screams of this kid who is desperately crying out to be caught. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she would not be caught before she killed again. Oh, no. July 31st, about nine weeks after the death of Martin <clears throat> Brown, three-year-old Brian Howe would be found murdered. Three? Three. Oh. He had curly, light blonde hair. Brian and his friend John were out playing. <clears throat> John went in for a nap around 1.30 p.m. By 5 p.m., Brian's family went looking for him because he had not come home. Brian's sister, Pat, saw Mary and Norma with Mary asking, Are you looking for your Brian? Pat said she was and asked if they had seen him. They said they had not, but they offered to help 
look for him. This sounds familiar. They crossed the railroad tracks to the industrial area where the kids of Scottswood would often play. Uh, with the, There was like all these old construction materials, old cars, dangerous records. So, of course, it's where kids gravitate. They referred to the area as Tin Lizzie. And like as a PS, if you think about serial killers, one of mm-hmm. uh, a lot of killers, there's this hallmark of them <clears throat> wanting to come back to revisit crime scenes, sometimes wanting to insert themselves into an investigation. I feel like that's part of what we're seeing here at a very rudimentary level, because, again, she's a fucking 11 year old child. Yep. Oh, wow. Kim dropped an F-bomb. She did? Yeah. I like it. Yeah. I know you do. I try to watch how often I do on the show, though. Uh, Mary pointed to some large concrete blocks, said he might be playing behind the blocks or between them. Very specific. Between them. That is very specific. Mm. Pat insisted he would never play or went over there, so they didn't look. They did not find Brian, so police were called. His body was found at 11.10 p.m. in the Tin Lizzie, right where Mary had pointed earlier in the day. And again, we're about to talk a little bit more graphically about what happened to his body. So if that is going to be something a little too upsetting, I suggest skipping the next 30 seconds or so. He was stripped half naked. Oh, no. He had scratches on his back, grass placed on top of him to hide his body. Ah. Scratches on his neck and face, compression marks on his nose, blood-stained froth on his mouth. Oh, no. Scissors next to his body with the blade broken, six tiny puncture wounds found on his thighs and legs, which looked to be... Initials. Stop it. It gets worse. They put their initials on his body? It gets worse. His genitals had been mutilated, partially skinned. His eyes were bloodshot. Some of his hair had been hacked away. Oh my God, this is terrible. A three-year-old? He's three, and again, his killer's 11. Like, oh my God. He'd been strangled to death. Oh. Based on the marks, they believe um, the killer had to be a child, based on, on the size of the marks they found on his body. One of the inspectors saying, there was a terrible playfulness about it, a terrible gentleness if you like and somehow the playfulness made it more rather than less terrifying the medical examiner determined he had died between 3:30 and 4:30 that is awful the scissors found nearby which had made the puncture wounds on his body one of the ends of the scissors were bent in his belly where we saw the initials, it looked like someone had tried to carve either an M or an M. Norma or Mary. Either way, it's a pretty good indicator. Either way, it's a pretty good indicator, but which one it was would later become rather important as to who the ringleader was. 
they noticed the similarities to Martin Brown's death, um, which actually led them to say, hmm, maybe these are connected and maybe there was foul play. And once again, who is up front and center engaged with the press and the investigators? Mary Bell. Mary Bell. As the investigation narrowed in on Mary, she suddenly remembered seeing an eight-year-old boy with Brian on the day he died. Oh. Mm. She claimed the boy hit Brian for no reason. And that she had also seen the same boy playing with broken scissors. Well, isn't that convenient? It's convenient, but you know what fact had not been released to the press? What? The scissors. So... The only way she would know that is if she did it. Mm-hmm. The police did not release the specific detail that scissors oh, were used. Shit. Which is a really common tactic police use because, again, you have people all the time. Uh, we've seen that, like, the JonBenet Ramsey case is a great example where there has been people coming forward saying, oh, I did it. But they can't say any of the details that have been withheld. Yeah. Scissors were withheld. She That's just, a... yeah, she implicated herself. Yeah, big time. And she described them oh, exactly. God. She said, like silver colored and something wrong with the scissors, like one leg was either broken or bent. Oh, my God. On August 4th, Norma is questioned. And Norma breaks. She says Mary took her to see Brian's body. Now, this is important because what Norma is saying here is that she had nothing to do with the murder. That Mary took her after Brian was dead to see Brian's body and Mary showed her a razor she had used to cut him and she showed police where the razor was. Well, that's really specific. It's really specific. But again, Norma is being very specific to not implicate herself. I saw the body, but I had nothing to do with the killing. Police go to get Mary for questioning. She's brought to the station at about 12.15 a.m. Her behavior was odd. When she was questioned, she would deny knowledge, but suddenly jump ahead to answer something they hadn't even asked. She continued to insist she was innocent. She went as far as to ask the police if the place was bugged. What? Again, she's a kid. She's watched too many, like, cop dramas, I think. I mean, I I, I relate. She was having trouble not revealing too much. Police asked if she played with Brian. She responded, he's only little. So she was asked, I have reason to believe that when you were near the blocks with Norma, a man shouted at some children and you both ran away from where Brian was lying in the grass. The man will probably know you. She says, he would have to have good eyesight. What does that even mean? So the police say, why would he need good eyesight? Because, like, that again, that's implicating if that actually happened, that she knew about it and how far away he was. Yeah. 
which there was an eyewitness who saw them playing. So again, she's like, ah, crap, I've revealed too much. So she says, because he was clever to see me when I wasn't there. Yeah, no, you can't backpedal that. Yeah, but it's like, it's again, it's such a kid thing to do as a defense. And when it became apparent that things were not going her way, she abruptly stood up and said, I'm going home. I'll phone for some solicitors. They'll get me out. This is being brainwashed. Yeah. Okay. So she'd be sent home at 3.30 a.m. Norma gave her statement to the police. She said Mary killed Brian. And this is a direct quote from Norma's statement. She put her two hands on his neck. She said there were two lumps you had to squeeze right up. She said she meant to harm him. She got him down on the grass and she seemed to go all funny. You could tell there was something the matter with her. She kept on struggling with him and trying to get her hands away. She let go of him and I could hear him gasping. She squeezed his neck again and I said, May, leave the baby alone. But she wouldn't. She said to me, my hands are getting thick. Take over. Then I ran away. Brian's funeral was held on August 7th. One of the inspectors who attended noticed Mary was standing in front of the house house when the coffin was brought out. I was, of course, watching her. And it was when I saw her there that I knew I dare not risk another day. She stood there laughing, laughing and rubbing her hands. I thought, my God, I've got to bring her in. She'll do another one. Oh, my God. That's so terrifying. Oh, that's so gross and icky. I don't like it. She was brought in at 4.30 p.m., uh, the day where Mary would give a statement of her own, in her version of events, it was Norma that spearheaded the killing. Of course it was. And she would say she started to feel up and down his neck. She squeezed it hard. You could tell it was hard because her fingertips were going white. Brian was struggling, and I was pulling her shoulders, but she went mad. I was pulling her chin up, but she screamed at me. By this time, she had banged Brian's head on some wood or corner of wood, and Brian was lying senseless. His face was all white and bluey, and his eyes were open. His lips were purplish and had all like slaver on. It turned into something like fluff. Norma covered him up, and I said, Norma, I've got nothing to do with this. I should tell on you, but I'll not. Mm-hmm. So both girls are charged. December 5th of 1968, the trial for the murders of Martin Brown and Brian Howe started. Mary would later recall her mother sitting behind her, pinching her, and demanding she stop fidgeting anytime she got wiggly. In contrast to this, Norma had her family there supporting her. This created a very sympathetic image of Norma, mm-hmm. where Mary had very much an image of a a fidgety child who didn't care. I mean, if she's laughing at a funeral, it's pretty. Sure. It's I, like I, I get so torn on this because there's there's the crime she did. But there's also the fact she's 11. 
She's 11 years old, and an 11-year-old child does not get here without something being being seriously wrong with them. Right. Like, this isn't even a 17-year-old. This is an 11, 10 when she did her first crime. And it's 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 hard. I, I don't want it to come across. I feel like I'm not trying to be overly sympathetic towards Mary. I just... A child does not get here on their own. Sure. So it's, it's, um, I think I, I, again, and I, I, I work a lot with this age group and I think that's a little bit of my struggle is that like, I know so many kids this age where I'm like, you don't, you're, you're stupid, stupid fucking kids. You don't get here without something being severely wrong. So after a day of Norma testifying, Mary having an outburst, she spoke with one of the policewomen who was, like, responsible for her because she's in custody. And apparently Mary said, do you think I'll ever go home again? I wish I was going to sleep in my own bed. Do you think I'll get 30 years? I think he is a horrible judge if he gives me 30 years. If I was a judge and I had an 11-year-old who'd done this, I'd give her... 18 months. Murder isn't that bad. What? Again, this shows how messed up this kid is. Yep. So the woman realized something important in what Mary had said. And the policewoman would, would later say, I realized she'd said, done this. But I didn't report it. I felt I shouldn't. Because exactly that- what Mary said... I had an 11 year old. If I were, if I was a judge and I had an 11 year old who'd done this, Mm. not if I had an 11 year old accused of this, Mm. if I had an 11 year old that done this. That's like her taking ownership that she did it. In a weird way, yes. Hmm. But the fact, again, she says murder isn't that bad. It's bad. Well, it's bad, but again, uh, I don't, and I don't, I feel, I feel like this is me, like, try, I, I don't want this to come across that I am in any way excusing what she did. But she is a child. A very disturbed child. A very disturbed child. But this is, this is, you do not get here unless something is severely wrong. Right. And the fact that she can say murder isn't that bad is an indicator of her lack of comprehension of the gravity of what she has done. Mm-hmm. So the, the trial moved forward with both girls contradicting each other, both denying any responsibility for Martin Brown, acknowledging that they had been together with Brian on the day he died. According to Mary, a uh, maniacal Norma had strangled Brian When asked if she was afraid that Norma might kill her, Mary replied, she would not dare because I would turn around and punch her one. (laughs) Okay. But again, 11. Yeah, it's totally an 11-year-old response. A psychiatrist declared that Mary, quote, must be regarded as suffering from psychopathic personality Uh demonstrated by a lack of feeling quality to other humans and a liability to act on impulse and without forethought. Finally, somebody said it. Well, it's again, a psychiatrist. (laughs) 
Right. Right. <laughs> uh, the jury took under four hours to reach a verdict. Norma was found not guilty of manslaughter on both counts. Mary Bell was found guilty of manslaughter because of diminished responsibility in both Martin and Brian's death. Now, a sentence of detention for life uh, was given. Mary cried at, at this sentencing. Her detention would be, though, for an indeterminate amount of time. Because here's the thing. What the fuck do you do with an 11-year-old a, a, who is convicted of killing two children, two toddlers? Where's I mean, your, you can't put them, like, in jail with wh- other regular, wh- and like, adults. Where's your, where's your precedence for this? And that was, that was just it. There was no zero precedence for this. Where do you even send a child like this? Um, Mary would later recall, and this is a a quote that she gave again in the, the book that I had mentioned earlier. In the court, while they were talking and talking, I remember thinking, I wanted my dog. I wanted him with me when I was sent to be hanged. That's what I thought would happen. I'd be sent to the gallows, And they might just as well have said that right away because it was just as meaningless as life imprisonment. Well, death. None of it meant a damn thing. Not a thing. Yikes. Yikes. But again, I I feel like this is so indicative of, of the issue, which is death did not mean to her the same thing it means to me and you. Right. I mean, her mom tried to kill her as a child. Her mom tried to kill her as a child. And again, developmentally... An 11-year-old knows what death is, but they don't know what death is, if that makes sense. It doesn't register the same way. It it doesn't register the same way. Like, our brains aren't fully formed till we're 25. She's 11. Shit. Uh, she, She ended up at a facility designed for young men who were violent offenders. It was called the Red Bank Special Unit. It was later known as the Red Bank Community Home. From February of 1969 until November of 1973, this is where Mary Bell was. Uh, this is also where one of the young offenders who would later murder, this is another case from the UK, two-year-old James Bulger would be sent. If you've never heard of this case, again, be prepared to hate your life if you look it up. <laughs> it's very similar to the Mary Bell case. Warning. Two, two children. Again, they were, I don't know, 10, 11. I was two boys who murdered a, a, a toddler. And it's, it's a very upsetting case. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I got. <laughs> um, Betty would visit her daughter. The staff at Red Bank hated the, as they would call it, overly dramatic and manipulative Betty. Yeah, that checks. One teacher even commented. During this time, she allegedly sent a letter to her mother asking her mother to confess, saying her mother was the guilty party in all of this. Uh, part of the text read, it's a very long letter. You can find it in its entirety online, but it said, Please, ma'am, put my tiny mind at ease. Tell judge and jury on your knees. They will listen to your cries of please. The guilty one is you, not me. I am sorry it has to be this way. We'll both cry. And you will go away. Tell them you are guilty, please. So then, ma'am, I'll be free. 
your daughter may well she did rhyme well here's the omg this is effed it would be later discovered betty herself wrote this letter what are you serious yep and if like i didn't already kind of hate this woman this just is the cherry on the i really hate you sunday uh she was constantly trying to profit from her daughter's crimes and her incarceration she would have mary write poems and then she would sell the poems she was selling information on mary's incarceration to tabloids this like need for attention came from her mom well no i think it came as a direct result of who her mom was yeah that too and how her mom treated her i don't think it's something that she like genetically inherited i think it it is a direct correlation to the abuse she suffered at the hands of her mother yeah that's fair her father billy and like her dad billy like, he was a con guy you know he was he was not a great guy but he loved mary and he wanted to do some kind of right by her even though she wasn't even biologically his. So he visited her whenever he could, but he was arrested for robbery in 1969 and sent to prison. And her mother at this point, like, gave up her other children with Billy to be raised by relatives. So at least they were sort of spared the full Betty Bell experience. And when Betty did come to visit Mary, she would be stressed, She would act out more. In 1970, arrangements were made for Mary to visit Billy in prison. Betty did not want her to go and made her choose between the two of them. Oh, no. Mary chose Billy. Yeah. The staff wrote to Betty to not visit again. Sadly, this did not last for very long. Sure. In 1972, Betty, worn down by drug use, she gave this interview where she spoke about her daughter. We're going to play a quick clip of uh, the audio from that interview. Now, Betty, are you saying that your daughter is innocent? No, I'm not saying she's innocent. But something must have made her do these things. Yes, something possibly must have made her do these things. What was it about her life and her family you think that could have driven her to these things? Maybe it's the arguments between my husband and myself might have had some inflict on her. I I don't know. Have you been very despairing sometimes? Very despairing, very, very lot of, under a lot of strain stress and grief for my daughter. At age 16, Mary moved to a prison. And this move actually left her quite traumatized. In 1977, at the age of 20, she was transferred to a less secure facility and she briefly escaped. Oh, good. 
I'd only took them a few days uh, before she was returned to custody. Mary Bell was actually released May 14th, 1980, at the age of 23. She started a brand new life with a protection of her new identity in place to allow her to build a life. This is big in the UK. If you were a juvenile offender, they, they let you out and then they give you a new identity because they feel like... Uh, UK actually believes that, hey, we're trying to, like, rehabilitate people and not just we're trying to punish you like we do here in the U.S. Uh, initially, she struggled to reintegrate. At one point, she even returned to the prison because she didn't want to continue living in the outside. Oh. Four years after, she gave birth to a daughter. How old was she at that point? Uh, she was about 27 or so. Okay. She has since become a grandmother as well. She petitioned and was granted lifetime protection and anonymity for herself, her daughter, and now her granddaughter. But in 1998, her name entered the news again. She collaborated with Gita Sereni, who wrote a book, I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, uh, about her life and crimes. Now, this was highly criticized by the families of her victims, who objected to her being able to profit from her crimes. That is very fair. No, absolutely. Um, the author justified it by saying she felt like she owed Mary a part of the profits because it was Mary's story. Um, and again, I... I I see both sides of it. Right. Uh, I can absolutely understand the, the families of the victims being like, you should not be able to. And, and there are fairly strict laws in the U.S. about being able to profit from a crime. The U.K. is a little different. Um, as a result, though, of this kind of like fresh media attention, she was tracked down by reporters and forced to tell her then 14-year-old daughter about what she had done. Oh, great. June Richardson, Martin Brown's mother, said the following statement. A child is a blessing. She took my blessing and left me with grief for the rest of my life. I hope when she looks at, the, at this child, she remembers the two she murdered. I will never see a grandchild from my son. I hope when she looks at this baby, she realized what my family are missing out on because of what she has done. Um, now, again, I've mentioned this book a couple times. Uh, I read it as part of my prep for this. Um, it did give me some insight into Mary, particularly regarding Martin Brown. She would recall not fully comprehending the permanence of what she did to Martin. She would say, I didn't understand the concept of death forever. It was unreal, incomprehensible. I had nothing against Martin or him against me. I didn't mean to kill him forever. I just thought I'd get taken away. I strangled him, but I thought of, you know, play dead. I just thought, I'm not really hurting you. You go to sleep and you'll come around. Come round, come round, come round in time for tea. The day of the murder. That's so sad. It's so sad. And this was like, it's not, 
I don't want it to come off like I'm being sympathetic to her, but she was a kid in a really messed up situation. Yeah. And did horrible things as a result. Well, I'm glad that she was able to like recognize that though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. As, as an adult and a lot of therapy, even then she still has some problems. Uh, uh, understandably. Sure. Um, the day of the murder, she'd had a fight with her mother. Now, she gave multiple accounts through the years of what happened the day, specifically of Martin Brown's murder. Even to um, Gita Sereny, she gave contradictory accounts. Huh. Sometimes she would talk about it being an accident. Sometimes Norma was the one that did it. Sometimes she killed him, but it was with Norma. And of all the things she said... Uh, what seems to be the most accurate version of what happened the day of his death is what I'm about to read. But there are okay. multiple versions she has given. So just keep that in mind as I'm reading this. Will do. Martin is there. I climb in to look around the ground floor and he follows me. I says, go home. He won't. I take his hand and pull him after me up the stairs. He is crying. I don't want to. He wouldn't stop crying. I'm kneeling in front of him. I think I'm kneeling on a brick. I say, put our hands around my throat, and he does. I put my hands around his throat, and I press. I press. I press. I'm not angry. It isn't a feeling. It is a void that comes, happens, opens. It's an abyss. It's beyond rage, beyond pain. It's black and cotton wool. It was very quiet, very still. I wasn't aware of noises anywhere in my head, outside, not from anybody. Martin, he, it was so, so quiet. She's less forthcoming talking about Brian Howe, what she would say. I touched his face. And then Norma began laughing hysterically. And there were weeds and tall flowers. I covered him over with the bulrushes. She admits to coming back later with the razor blade and scissors. Quote, to cut his penis. And oh. Mary will be 65 in a little... <clears throat> Actually, at the time this episode of will be released. She'll be 65 uh, by the end of May. Trying to live her life with her husband, daughter, and granddaughter. Her case raises a lot of questions on how we treat juvenile offenders. Mm -hmm. um, there are those who very strongly believe Mary should still be locked up and punished. Those who believe in her rehabilitation and look at her as an example of what can and should be accomplished by a system. Uh, but that is the story of Mary Bell. That is such a sad, sad story. Yeah. Like, I almost wonder how it would have, like, gone down had it been here. Oh, she'd still be in prison, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I just wonder if, like, there would have been... 
more people noticing something weird going on earlier Not, not on. in 1968, no. <clears throat> it's just interesting because, like, the 60s and the 70s had so many... I mean, not just the six. It's mostly the seventies and the eighties that had all the serial killers. But like seventies, mm, seventies. But there were some in the early eighties. But oh, like, sure, it was sure. Mostly, but... I guess this was before that time. But just an indicator of <laughs> assuming the best versus the worst, and letting that be like just let go for a while until more bad things happen. But wow, Mary Bell, good job. That was really good research. I apologize for once again being here to feel your joy. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad at least we could have a little fun intro in the beginning. A little be a, a Killjoy sandwich, if you will. Killjoy. <laughs> well, and, and this was not the original topic I was supposed to be covering this week. Things took a turn. I promise my next topic will not be as much of a downer and this brings us to creepy critics corner creepy critics corner kim what you watching i need you to appreciate something which is that i have been attending um a bunch of the SIF events. Mm-hmm. And I've been seeing all these awesome things. And I had like a list of things. I was like, I want to recommend this. And I want to recommend this. And I want to recommend this. And it was too many things. So. <laughs> all right. I'm recommending one SIF movie. And one thing that I have been watching as of late. That I think you're going to get excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the SIF movie I saw that I loved. Um, mm-hmm. Partially it just, it stuck with me. Okay. It was a Spanish film. Okay. Called Piggy. Huh. And the premise of this film, and this is not giving anything away that is not in the trailer, is this this very isolated town in Spain. This teenage girl, she's uh 16, 17, 18 years old. She's a teenager. She's still like she wouldn't be 18. She's still very much like a teenager. Right. She's a a heavier girl Mm -hmm. being just really horrifically bullied by some girls because she is is a bigger girl. They call her Piggy. Oh, no. And uh, it's it's summer. It's middle of a heat wave. She works in her parents' butcher store. And one of the girls you get. This just from from some of their interactions, you understand that they used to be friends. And this is the girl that kind of, she doesn't participate in the bullying, but she doesn't stop the bullying. Sure. So one day this this girl goes, um, Sarah, <laughs> her name is Sarah. Mm-hmm. Sarah goes to the pool and she's wearing a bikini. And the mean girls are there. And there's a man there who had been swimming. And he, like, pops out of the pool. And the girls are like, oh, you have a boyfriend. You have, oh, Piggy has a boyfriend. And they're just kind of mocking her, and they're mocking this guy. And the guy leaves. And they end up taking, like, a pool net and throwing it on her. So she's, it's not that she almost drowns, but she panics. Mm -hmm. And then they take her bag, and they take her clothes, and they take her towel. so mean. And they leave. 
So she has to walk home, and the pool is a good distance away. She has to walk home in her bikini. And she's being tormented by these, some, like, young, not young, teenage boys who are, like, following her in the car and, like, grab her bikini top. And so she goes off on this kind of side path. And what does she see but this man who had been at the pool abducting her bullies? <laughs> and oh, she, shoot. she has this moment where they make eye contact. And her, her friend is, you know, in the back of this car, like, pounding and being like, help us, help us, help us. And he, he sees her. And he takes the towel that they'd stolen and puts it on the ground. For her? For her. So she kind of puts her hands up to wave, and he drives off. And she takes the towel, and she goes home, and she doesn't tell anybody about what happened. Oh, shoot. And what what kind of... <laughs> it kind of escalates, obviously. You've got this guy yeah. who's a serial killer, but you have this whole film where it's like the only person... Really showing this poor teenage girl kindness. Is a serial killer. Is a serial killer. Dang. So. That's heavy. It's, uh, it was, it's, it's, uh, it's the feature debut for the director, uh, Carlotta Martinez Pereda. And pardon me if I butchered that name. Um, the, the, the lead actress who plays Sarah is fantastic. It, as 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 a fellow chubby girl, like it it <laughs> it hit me in the feels in a way I was not ready for. Mm-hmm. I thought it was really lovely. There was a, a very obvious like De Palma influence of the whole thing. Yeah. I I was really really hit with this movie, and um I would I would highly recommend it to anyone who is is given the opportunity to see it. It I'm not sure when it's getting a release again in the United States. Um, I saw it again through the SIF International Film Festival. I know it's getting it got a re- it's getting a release in Spain. I think this fall, so I don't know if we will also get a wide release here or if it'll hit probably SIF the SIF theaters here again. But I very much enjoyed it. Um, Sounds good. My my show my TV show recommendation, and I think Gabby is needs to watch this show. It is the gay pirate comedy yes. romance I did not yes. know was missing from my life. I know what you're going to say. It is called Our Flag Means Death. Oh my god. I am in love. So I've seen one episode. Okay. Oh, so you haven't. Blackbeard's not really on the scene yet, is I he? Have, no, but I've seen like who is in it. I've got like little sneak peeks of all the different actors it's, that are in it. And it's such a lineup. Like, it's a wine. Well, because it's, it's, forgive me if I butcher his name. I'm trying so hard. Um, Taika Watiti. Taika Watiti. Yeah. Taika Watiti. Uh, who plays Blackbeard, who also, oh my God, I'm up to episode, I just finished episode six and it's a 10 okay, episode. tell me I'm anything. not going to tell you what happens. I'm just going to say he plays Blackbeard and I find him attractive and <laughs> it's, but it's also. I think he, it's his show. It's Didn't his he, show. Like, produce it's it his and show like, and the other yeah. actor who plays um, uh, Steed, uh, who is Rice. He plays it's, Murray. Who plays. Yeah, yeah, who's his, like, longtime friend and collaborator. But it's this, like, it becomes this, like, like, my little queer heart is so, ha- as, 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 a, as a, a pansexual queer human, my little queer heart is so happy because 
oftentimes shows like this, you get kind of teased with the queerness. You're like, oh, they're going to kind of like, they're going to queer bait us. Yeah, they're going to dangle this idea, but they're never going to like, I'm sorry. Recently, I have some beef to pick with the Killing Eve final season, and I'm not even going to get into how upset I am, but it was, it was like, I, it made me very, very, very upset. I felt like it was a huge letdown to the series, to the intention, to what was set up, and I felt like it was very queer baby. and, and mm-hmm. all I'll say is this pays off, like, it's just this, it's like, you just kind of, it's so sweet. And it's as in terms of representation, I'm just like, y'all obviously have queer writers on staff who are doing right by you. Mm-hmm. Their chemistry is so good. I, it is, it is, I've actually, I don't do this too often. I am rationing my remaining episodes out because my impulse, wow. my impulse was to just plow through them. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I want to just watch maybe an episode at a time for an evening. If you've not watched the series, it's on HBO Max. It's 10 episodes in total. The episodes are 30 minutes. Um, again, I'm on, I just finished episode six, like right before we started recording. It makes my heart happy. If it does not get a second season, my heart will be crushed. Your black, cold, my dead cold, dead heart. heart. We'll be crushed once and for all. HBO Max, you don't want to be the reason. You kill my heart for good. It sometimes beats still. Just Kim Delphin, everyone. Yes. This is this is what friendship with me is like, y'all. This is why they're lining up at my door. So it's funny that you bring up that show because I was, I was gonna mention it. Because I was texting but you like I know I well, show because you sent like. me you sent me a gift from I it and I was like it. ooh I'm like giving everyone watching. I'm giving everyone I'm like, I love it if you don't understand the reference you need to find out I That's sent a so problem. many texts earlier that was like y'all need to be watching a show it's very good but show. I will tell you I didn't give it enough attention because. Life has been chaotic lately, and I've not been home. So I watched a little bit of it with Terrence before I left. Sure. And he put it on, but I had to, like, pack. So I couldn't really pay attention to what was happening on the TV. It ended up becoming, like, background noise after the first episode. Mm. So he went nuts and, like, started to watch it. And I was like, I guess I need to watch the rest of it now by myself or rewatch it with you. So I haven't touched it since then because I know he wants to watch it with me. So I... I, I know, and Leslie Jones, I think, is in it, too. Yes, for, yes, yes. She I plays. love Leslie it's, Jones. It's, there's all these actors pop, all these comedians popping in, and it's, like, I was digging the show. I was like, I'm here for this. This is fun. But Blackbeard full-on entering the scene. Okay, I can't wait to and watch And it's, that. episode four is when, is when he full-on does, like, he, he's popping in before, but he full-on comes on the scene hard in episode four, and that was what cemented the, like, oh, oh. Okay, this so is, that what made Kim really like This it. is gonna be a Kim Hart show. This is gonna be, I'm gonna take this show very personally, uh, I'm gonna ship this show. I will probably read fan fiction about this show now. So, okay, I was going to talk a little bit about that. Glad that you did. We could schmooze on it. I will get back to you once I start watching it more, and we can come back to it. We'll put a little pin in that. 
If Press save. Uh, I also very proudly introduced one of my like longtime friends who I was visiting in LA mm-hmm. to what we do in the shadows, the TV mm-hmm, show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I just want to give that a quick shout out again, because we haven't talked about it in a long time. And if you haven't watched it, highly recommend yeah. a particular episode. It's called Baron's Night Out. And it's in season one. I think it might be episode six. It is the funniest episode ever. Um, basically, it's about all the vampires wanting to take the Baron out for an evening to show them like the town Baron wants them to conquer everything, but really they just end up drinking the blood of like really drunk and drugged out people the whole night. And then they're super messed up the whole time. And it's really funny. Um, Like at one point the Baron like has to have a slice of pizza and they're like, no, don't do it. Don't eat the pizza. And he does. And just projectile vomits and flies through the air from the projectile vomit until he smacks into the ground. It's it's like totally dumb humor, but very funny. I really so, like the episode. Is it season one with all the vampires? Oh God, I think that might be season two. Is that two. season two? I can't remember, but that was that was one of my favorite episodes just with because all, like, the guest vampires. The audacity of it is amazing. <laughs> Yep, 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 yep. Anyway, it's a great show. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's very um, fun. It's a really, really fun show. I just was proud that I got my friend hooked on it. Nice. So, like, I did my due diligence. You did your due diligence. Um, and then I've also just been watching 90 Day Fiance because there's a new season. Have. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but I also really haven't had a lot of time in the last couple of weeks. So uh, I haven't been watching as much stuff. So there's well, that. Then I'll give a quick shout out to one other thing I saw at SIF that I think everybody should watch. Do it. The documentary Navalny. And it's currently playing on CNN. Uh, it premiered on CNN officially, I think, Sunday night. So you can find on CNN. I believe it's going to be on HBO Max within the next month or so. But okay. I saw it for the opening night gala. And whew, uh, for those of you unfamiliar with the 2020 assassination attempt of the Russian opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, which I knew knew it in that I remember hearing about it. I remember seeing the news, but yeah. also you had, you know, a global pandemic starting and it kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think, here. Um, it's it's brilliant. It's uh, Alexei Navalny, who is, is currently imprisoned in Russia. Um, and this documentary was made in this kind of brief time period between when he was poisoned by Putin was full on poisoned by Putin and he sought refuge in Germany with his wife and family. And there's this scene at one point where he's calling all the people involved in his poisoning on the phone. Oh dang. And at first it's just like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you tried to poison me. What's up? But then actually gets one of them to full on admit to what they did by pretending to be somebody writing a report. It's, it's, it's bonkers. Like the whole thing. It's also really funny. He's funny. You're not expecting. I remember this from, from the opening night. I was not expecting it to be as funny as it was. I got to talk to the director and the editor afterwards. Um, if this doesn't make it to 
uh, an Academy Award nomination, I think honestly it would be a crime. It's it's so good. It's so relevant and I I really think everybody should be watching it. So I'm going to give a shout out to something else I saw at SIF uh that I thought was truly amazing. Perfect. You gave all the quality things in this episode. I gave all the trash TV. It's, it's perfect. important to have a balance. Well, it's, it's we do have, have a, a nice balance. balance. We have a balance. We have a balance. We do. We do. And uh, having said that, thank you guys for listening. If you would like to check us out on social media, just look us up. Ghoulish Tendencies, wherever you find podcasts, Instagram, Ghoulish Tendencies podcast usually is the thing you should look up. But we are all over the place, so just look it up. You'll find us. Um, if you like what we do, check out our Patreon. If you'd like to financially help out a little bit and support us creating content for you, that's a great way to do it. You can mm-hmm. also head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a rating or review, which we also very much appreciate. We do. Um, and just give your friends a rec. It's a good time. Um, but thank you so much for listening. And... Stay